All right, you guys ready to go? I guess we're on. All right, we... If you've been talking to yourself about this issue of uh, how in the world are we going to grow into a place where, with confidence, we can represent both Jesus as Savior and Judge. How are we going to do that? How's that going to happen? Because I certainly don't feel like I'm there right now. Savior, yes. Pray for the sick, sure. Do that any time, day or night. But how are we going to grow in to what we read in Revelation 11? Well, that's what I want to address tonight. Because there, uh, our Bible tells us, and we looked at the scripture in um, Ecclesiastes 4. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right. And um, there is a threefold cord in Scripture that is presented to us. Um, it's really clear, and it, it has purpose. And it's understandable. Um, the only problem with it is that it's been stolen by tradition. So there's a threefold judicial cord in Scripture. There are three judicial cords in Scripture that God intended for us to use every week and to grow as a result of using them every week over time to grow into confidence in the judicial. So we're going to look at those tonight. Uh, and where I want to start is Second Thessalonians because I... I want to key in on what does our audience look like from this point on out. All right? We're seeing signs of it now. So what does the world look like that we're in right now from this point on out? And I think it's very clearly presented in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means. Okay, so the number one warning for the last days is, hey... There's a full-blown deception running around, and a lot of people are in it. A lot. As a matter of fact, it is easy to deceive yourself if you don't choose to fully yield to God. I mean, you, you won't need a whole lot of help to walk in deception because you'll choose it because it's easier to go. It will protect your giants. Bottom line. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the coming of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or is worship. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Then that interesting thing about the devil. He has to prove to himself that he's God. It, it's, uh, I, I, I marvel at how that whole, whole thing unfolds in Scripture. I mean, marvel that it, it, it talk about the original copycat who 
who has to prove to himself. It's a, it's an absolutely amazing um, process as we see it unfold, and it unfolds in Isaiah 14, uh, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, all right, now that's in verse 13. So if you circle the five I will, circle each I will that comes out of his mouth, circle it and number it. That's the first thing you do, okay? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will, I will, I will. There's three I wills on the farthest sides of the north. I will, number four, ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will, number five, be like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will. Now, here comes God to Abraham. And he says, uh, Abraham, such a deal I have for you. I want you to walk in covenant with me. And I'll bless you. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, count the I wills and circle each I will and number them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They're five. Exact same number. So the devil says on, on the, on the day of his rebellion, as he's created, as he's kicked out of heaven, he is proclaiming what he's going to do. I will ascend into heaven. God says, Abraham, you want to walk with me? You're not ascending or descending anywhere. You're going where I show you. I will show you. You don't choose it. I choose it. Now you got a choice. You can either choose the devil who says you can make your own destiny. You can go where you want to go. You can choose your flesh or you can bow your flesh and choose my spirit. What's it going to be? And, and here we are. Here man sits between the devil and God. What are you going to choose? Now, the Bible says in the last days, people are going to choose the devil. Because they get to do what they want to do when they want to do it. I'll tell you what, to choose hell, to choose the lake of fire, to choose an eternity in agony and torment, that takes significant deception. And what we're told here is, hey, there, there's going to be a great falling, not a little falling away. There is going to be a great. I mean, it's right here. What, what are you going to do with this progression? Who opposes? See, verse 3. Second Thess, two, three, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and a man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself, 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 above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. 
Now, there's the ultimate in deception. You've got to prove to yourself that you are God. And the way you prove it is you have to deceive enough people to feed your ego. And you have to prove to yourself that you are God by the fact that they will follow you. They will bow to you. They will worship you. Do you not remember when I was with you, I told you these things? Verse 5, 6. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. That would be the Holy Spirit in us. Restraining. Hmm. Not so much. We're learning how to do that more and more. Seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And when the lawless one, uh, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breast of his mouth, destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them. Circle verse 11. Strong delusion that they should believe a lie. What are we seeing happen here? We're seeing God rewarding people who fully rebel against him with an additional dimension of delusion and deception. Now, I don't know what you'd call what the New York legislature's in, but it looks to me like they've already had their dose. If you're going to legislate the murder of kids right up ten minutes before they're born, and who can figure that? Give me a break. Nobody can predict that. You're just basically giving people license to kill kids with no penalty. You're mocking God. You're scorning God. You're hating God. You're challenging God. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned, damned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, that's a condition that you and I are going to walk in for a season. What is the anointing of God that we possess for that season? Because things are escalating toward that season. I mean, I, I think we, if we watch what's going on on both coasts, we have to agree. You realize what they just introduced in the Texas legislature? Max sent me uh, two days ago a text. Somebody just introduced in the Texas legislature banned the Bible. <laughs> nice. Right here. Them's fighting words. But what are you going to fight with? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What are we going to fight with? Oh, man, I'm telling you, it's on, guys. It is on. I was I was looking at this today and talking to the Lord about this, and um, he took me over to Daniel 
You know, what? what's it going to look like? What? What's the trigger? I mean, zeal is what controls this uh, in the last days, and uh, the zeal of God controls the church in the last days, controls our response to this in the last days. I'll show it to you in Scripture. It's a... Uh, the judicial is fail-safe, like our nuclear weapons. Our nuclear weapons are fail-safe. You just can't go load one and drop it and expect anything to happen. You, you have to have a code. And so, without the code, they're totally worthless. Well, the judicial is fail-safe by God through His zeal. He chooses when to give you and I a burst of zeal. And so what he calls us to do is train ourselves in fail-safe function with the Holy Spirit concerning judicial. No, no zeal burst, you don't go judicial. That's your, just like the codes on the nuke. So, I'm talking to God about that. Uh, yeah. God, you need to show me the triggers. So, message I got today, which I don't know if I'm going to time to get there tonight or not, but seven zeal triggers in Scripture. Seven. All right, and I want you to hear this. Because this is Daniel chapter 8. And in verse 23. Daniel 8.23, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. He will be a man of deception and deceit. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. He shall be broken without human hand. Whoa. Now that describes Antichrist. So when that Fullness in the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressors have reached their fullness. When fullness of iniquity begins to reign, how does God respond? Now, you're probably wondering, why are you going over this again? Because you guys look at me like a calf at a new gate half the time when I talk about this prophetic stuff. Well, I mean, when I read Revelation 11, you're going, yeah, I thought that was going to happen after I was gone. Yeah, I did too. And then I saw the two witnesses movie and I went, oops, <laughs> game changer. Well, this guy teaches just like we do. He lets the Bible define the Bible. So, yeah, sure, come on. Come on. Oh, don't tell it about how. <laughs> okay, now, now, Max Evans over in, uh, is, a, is a pastor, um, over in Cross Plains, South Abilene, 40, 40 minutes South Abilene. So Max has been a cowboy his whole life. He grew up on a ranch. He's a cowboy his first, like, 30, 40 years. 
uh, on a 10, 20,000 acre ranch. Jesus is a cowboy, a Holy Ghost, spirit-filled cowboy. And uh, he hadn't been to seminary. He's been to school of the Holy Spirit, which is, in many ways, better than seminary. So um, two days before I get there, Max, somebody told him about YouTube. He's fooling around with his satellite trying to figure out if he can bring up YouTube on his TV. And all of a sudden, it pops up on his TV, and he doesn't know how or why. He doesn't know which button did it. It just pops up. And the first thing that comes on the screen is two witnesses, movie, AOC Network, one hour and 17 minutes. And he says, that sounds interesting. Click. And all of a sudden, after he watched that, I got a text. I got something that you got to see. Because, and here's what I want from you. You get first time you hit my house, you can sit down. We're going to watch this, and you're going to tell me what's wrong with it. Punch holes in it. Kill it. Punch holes in it. Tell me it ain't so. I sit down and watch it and turn over at Max and say, Max, it's not only so. We're going to show it to the congregation tonight. This is a game changer. This is the biggest game changer of eschatology I've seen in 40 years. It changes my This guy teaches the way we do. He lets the Bible define the Bible. You cannot argue with this. There are no holes to punch in it because he goes chapter and verse. And he goes through everything I've ever been taught or ever heard about the witnesses. And he chases that down and shows you why that's not so. And I mean, you, there are no holes in this. I can't find a single one. This changes everything. Because, and the reason is, now we know what our assignment is as the church. When Daniel 9, in the latter days, when the transgressors reach fullness of iniquity, it demands God bring fullness of Christ into his church and release it. And this is what it looks like. Revelation 11, verse 3. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy this whole period, the same three and a half years that you got fullness that brings Antichrist. When the, when the transgressors reach fullness, boom, it's on. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of all the earth. Jeremiah eleven sixteen, one olive tree, the believing Jewish people, the saved, born again Jewish people. The other olive tree, you and I, the Gentile believers. Romans 11, the two lampstands, Revelation chapter 1, last two verses. The lampstands are my churches. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire comes out of their mouth and devours their enemies. Six, these have power to shut heaven so no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Fullness of iniquity on the devil's crowd brings fullness of God on God's people, and that authority rests now in your decision, you, you and the Holy, Holy Spirit. The degree that you have yielded to the Holy Spirit is the degree you walk this out. As often as you desire. 
And, and that's why. You and I have to match the fullness of the Antichrist in his people. They can't kill us until we've finished our race. Bullets can. Cancer can. You're not going anywhere until you finish your race. Hallelujah. That's a game changer. Sorry, Rapture, goodbye. It was nice knowing you. It was comforting while I could nurse it. But now I just have to get ready for the biggest war I've ever been in in my life. I did 161 combat missions in a war. Been chased by MiGs, intercepted by Russians on the Kanchaka missile range. I'll tell you, I've, I've been in some stuff. <laughs> I've been in rocket attacks. I've been in mortar attacks. You know what it was? Exciting. That's why we have you back. You'll be here all day. <laughs> There's nothing like staring death in the face and beating it every single time. Only God, only God can do that. But you want an adrenaline rush that won't quit? Try that on for a second. That is one. Shoot. Your greatest day, you hear this, your greatest days ahead. Because the pinnacle of God's authority is going to manifest in your life. Now, what is our anointing to walk when this level of deception is in the earth? Now, that's, that's a serious issue. Go, go to Isaiah chapter 2. I know I'm spending a lot of time. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. We're going to have to knock this down in a hurry. Isaiah 2. Praise the Lord. Go to Isaiah 2. What's our, smile and somebody say, what's our anointing look like? What does it look like? Because it's right here. Isaiah 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it came to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. God, I love that. God says, the end times are full of deception. There's a great falling away. But guess what? I'm going to anoint you with such an anointing that you're going to go out and you're going to take a harvest out of nations. I'm going to give you an anointing that people, well, you can break through the deception. You can break through the darkness. What kind of anointing is it going to take? Well, let me give you a clue. It's judicial that precedes the pastoral. It's the judicial that breaks the deception, and then it's the pastoral that pulls in the net, seals the deal, offers them the salvation. Hallelujah. It's the fullness of who God is manifesting in us. And that shall come to pass in the latter days. The Lord's house will be established in the mountains and exalted above all the hills. The nations will flow into it. All right, so we know the time. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
Hallelujah. Jump down to verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. Circle verse 10. Terror of the Lord. Circle it and put a one by it. You know that one, two, three, four, five deal? One, two, three, four, five, I will. God matches it. One, two, three, four, five, you will submit to me. One, two, three, four, five. God says, I will give you an anointing to terrorize every demonic self-manifestation. Because I died for people, and I love them, and I'm giving you an anointing that will match everything you face and destroy it, break through it. It won't stand against the anointing I put in your life in the last days. No demonic deception can stand in the face of the anointing that I will put in you if you will withhold nothing and if you will yield and if you if you'll become a son of Abraham, son of David, son of man, son of God, I will flood you with the fullness of my power. Dunamis, exousia, escuo, kratos, dominion. You will have what you need for every situation that stands in front of you. You will take a need of no man. You will stand for me. Now, church, oh, you mean there are five of the five, five times. Five. Why five? Because you've got to match the devil. This is the fullness of God. Five matches the enemy's five. Fullness against fullness. Fullness of God against the fullness of the enemy. Jump down to verse 19. They shall go out into the holes of the rocks and the caves of the earth from the... That means flee. They will flee from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. When He arises to shake the earth mightily, it tells you when. When the Lord arises to shake everything flesh trusts in, I will shake everything that can be shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken, the kingdom. The reason we learn to live out of the kingdom is because you can't shake the kingdom. The kingdom is on the solid rock of Christ Himself and His blood. It has provision. It has deliverance. It has freedom. It has everything you and I need. And it's coming into fullness. Woo! Look at this, verse 20. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver, his idols of gold. Verse 21. To go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the, number three, terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth Mightily. Now you've got three times in Isaiah 2, in the end times, I'm pouring out an anointing that will cause the enemy to flee in terror. That's how you're going to break this demonic deception. Fourth time, New Testament. Hallelujah. Book of Second uh, Corinthians. Hallelujah. Woo! Paul got to see this. 
He did? Yeah. Second Corinthians 5.11 Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's the manifestation of terror that breaks through the deception. Terror comes from manifested wrath. Manifestation of God's wrath releases the terror of God. Ananias and Sapphira, manifestation of God's wrath, released the terror of the Lord. Blindness on the false prophet, same. Worms eating Herod, same. We get five different layers of it. Least amount of wrath. For the maximum amount of salvation. That's what we get to walk out. You say, I can't do that. Of course you get the Holy Spirit does. It's the Holy Spirit working with us to manifest that, to pull in the harvest. He knows what it's going to take. We don't do this ourselves. We do it with Him. That's what you got to understand. We do, this is an anointing that comes on us. And there's, Five times. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, finally, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, because in Hebrews 12, he's, he, uh, he nails the time. Oh, our God is a consuming fire. Look at verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. That is the first time God offered kings and priests. I mean, what we got was the second time. What Jesus bought and paid for us was what he tried to give Israel in Exodus 19. And when they saw it, man, they split and ran the other way in fear. And God said, that's all right. I got a better way. I'll do it through the Holy Spirit. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will do it in you. It's a good thing, Moses. Deuteronomy, it's a good thing. Don't lament that Israel reneged. Don't lament it's a good thing. I have a better way. God's amazing. But you have come to Mount Zion, verse 22, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who registered and hidden in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling speaks better things than Abel. 25. See, you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape or refused him on earth, how much more shall we escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? See, what do people withhold? Uh, well, this, that, and the other thing. His voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, oh, I'm coming. I'm coming to shake not only earth, but also heaven. Now, this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence. And there it is, number five, godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. Hallelujah. All right. Turn over to John chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 2. What do we see in John 2? This is, the, this is what Jesus looks like in you in the last days. All right. This Jesus... The Holy Spirit is going to weave, everybody say weave, 
weave this Jesus on the inside of us. Because there are three cords, three judicial cords that have been stolen from us by tradition. Three cords. And as you and I say, okay, Lord, I'll try it. The Holy Spirit will lead us to use these cords and he will begin to weave these cords together on the inside of us until we look just like Christ. And the very same way the Lord triggered Christ's zeal, he will trigger us in the last days. And zeal is fail-safe. <laughs> Where do you see the seven triggers? <laughs> it's fail-safe. Look at somebody and say, you can't screw this up if you tried There's a face statement times ten. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. All right. Look in John chapter two, verse thirteen. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold locks and sheep and doves, money changers doing business, and when he had made a what does your Bible say? Verse fifteen. Whip of cords. He drove them all at Jesus took the time to weave cords into his own weapon. That took time. That took intent. That took purpose. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. The Lord showed me what these three cords are. In Scripture, with chapter and verse. Three judicial cords, three judicial cords. A threefold cord cannot easily be broken. First John chapter five. First John chapter five. Good old John. Hallelujah. Verse. Here we go. First John 5, 7, for there are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Circle verse 8, First John 5, 8. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are one. Would you please look at someone and say, Spirit, Water, blood. Spirit, water, blood. There are three witnesses on earth. Spirit, water, blood. All right. Spirit, water, blood correspond to three judicial cords. Spirit, water, blood. Hallelujah. Now, most of us know the Ephesians washing of the water of the word. Right? Chapter 5. That we may be presented by Christ unto him without spot, wrinkle, or blemish through the washing of the water of the... All right, so the water cord is the word. Look at somebody and say, the water cord is the word. Now, we generally use the word for healing, deliverance, freedom, anointing, whatever blessing we need. But there is an element of the word that is a judicial cord. But you have to follow it. And, and it unfolds in the book of John. All right. So in John chapter 5, go to John chapter 5. This is the first manifestation of it. All right. 
John 5.22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, the Father says, Jesus, tag, you're it. You got all judgment. Alright, so, after the first manifestation of this, who's got the judgment? Jesus. I'll read it again. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. How is Jesus presented in most of our churches in America today? Savior. We don't say much about that. God's committed all judgment to the Son. Well, it's kind of unique to follow this out because it's it's like the Trinity's playing hot potato. You know, I grew up on a farm. We had to invent games. We didn't have money for toys. So hot potato was a pretty cheap game. <laughs> so I grew up playing hot potato. <laughs> uh, shoot. Go to John chapter 12, 46, 7, and 8. Here's another tag your it deal. Verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Anyone who hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word, the word, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Father commits all judgment to the Son. The Son says, all judgment is now invested in the Word. It is the Word that will do the judging in the last days. So all judgment has now been invested in the Word. Got it? All right. So what does Jesus do with that? Yeah, He does a hot potato and rolls it over on the Holy Ghost. It's amazing to <laughs> I, I never thought I would find the Godhead playing hot potato. I just, you know, it's one of those things that you just, no, no, not really. Well, maybe I'm just trying to relate it to something I've experienced. <laughs> what do you say to something like this? Well, go to Matthew chapter 12. Here comes hot potato number three. Hallelujah. Matthew 12. Tag Holy Ghost, you're it. Look at this. Verse 14, 12, 14. Then the Pharisees went out, took counsel against him, how they might destroy him. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. He warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He will declare judgment. Crisis from Crino. The same word as mishpat in the Hebrew, judgment. Holy Spirit, tag, you're it. You are going to administrate judgment in the last days. By the word. So the Father gives it to the Son. The Son passes it to the Spirit. Who gets the Spirit? Ding. And we run from it as long as we can until we finally grow up and say, okay, God, 
it looks like I'm going to have to shoulder this. I'm going to have to carry you in it. So, I mean, it's not that I'm doing it, but I just have to open up. I have to be available to you for it. That's really the issue. I have to choose to be available to you for it. Since I'm your voice, your hands, we are the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, you are the fullness of Christ in the earth. You're the representative of Christ in the earth. And the Holy Spirit has been given. I will put my spirit upon him. He will declare judgment to the Gentiles. The first thing Christ says the job of the Holy Spirit will be do to declare judgment. The judgment that came on sin. The judgment that sets us free. So we turn it in 100% pastoral, but it's a very judicial act. Hallelujah. That Jesus uh, did for us. But but look look at how it unfolds. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench until he sends forth judgment to victory. Judgment to victory. All right, and that takes you to over now. This is a little different uh, translation of judgment to victory is a different uh, translation than what we read in Isaiah 42, where we first find this. Okay, so if we go to Isaiah 42 and look at it, hallelujah. Oh, by the way, one of your zeal triggers is in Isaiah 42. Later on in the chapter, Isaiah 42 is a pretty, pretty interesting chapter. Yeehaw. All right, here we go. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth mishpat, that's judgment, to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth judgment, mishpat, for at-meth truth. So what Jesus did was he forever connected judgment with the Word of God, the written Word of God, the totality of God's Word, the Logos. He forever connected judgment with the written Word. So that the judgments that you and I will declare by the Holy Spirit are somewhere written in this word. And if it's not written in this word, we don't make the declaration. If it's not activated by the Holy Spirit, we do not make the declaration. And all that's left for us to do in this fail-safe system then is to learn the judicial triggers. Hallelujah. Because, just like Jesus, well, actually, there's one more issue here there, there's a fourth and after jesus takes judgment to victory then paul comes along and he writes the book of romans all right and that takes us over to romans chapter 12 so here it is romans 12 here's how it works romans 12 verse 19 beloved do not avenge everybody say avenge do not avenge yourself now that means you can't pick up a gun and go shoot somebody 
Do not avenge yourself. Don't do it. All right? Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather. Okay, so you can't go pull a trigger on any kind of a weapon, bow and arrow, anything else. But what can you do? Do not avenge yourself, but rather, ditto me, top us. Second heiress, active imperative. It's a command. I command you to do this. I command you to pray this. Bring me, give place to, ditto me, top us. Give place to wrath. Literally, ditto me, create a path for wrath. Show me what the word says is the judgment for shedding of innocent blood. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Okay, so if you're going to mock God, it's going to come back on you somehow. Some way, somehow, it's coming back to your door, it's coming back to your hands. If you uh, extend your hands to evil, the evil has a penalty. I mean, if you steal from somebody, somebody's going to steal from you. There's a spiritual principle that governs life. If those who bless you, it's in the Abrahamic covenant. Those who bless you, Abraham, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. We call it sowing and reaping in the New Testament. All right? It's the written justice of God. So what would you do? I would declare it. Sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, verse 7. Whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. You sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. Hallelujah. So where's the judgment? It's in the Word. And so what do we do with that? We declare it. We do? Yes, we do. That's Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Good Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. All right, so let me ask you something. What, why do we call Isaiah 53 the great exchange? Because everything that Jesus was afflicted with, we get delivered from. He is, he is stricken with sickness. We have access to healing. All right. He was bruised for our iniquity. We have forgiveness of sin. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All right. How about judgment? Illegal judgment fell on Christ. That judgment was illegal. There was no sin in his mouth. It was illegal. And who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. Now, because he was cut off, he was resurrected with the authority to cut off the wicked. He was cut off illegally. And when he's resurrected with the keys of death, hell, and the grave, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now I'm passing it on to you. 
You have the authority to resurrect. You have the authority to overcome death. You have the authority to put them in the grave. Wow. The Word. The judicial living Word of God. In our mouth. Declared over a situation. For the purpose of repentance. Brings justice. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It does, it does, it does. Hallelujah. Smile at somebody and say, the word is the witness of the water. The word. The word is the witness of the water. Oh, Lord. How about the blood? What is the blood the witness of? Well, the blood is... The witness of the blood comes out of communion. Hello? So, in communion, what the, um, what happened, go to Luke 22. So, what, what happened in communion was that the Bible does not separate the Passover and communion. But what has happened to us, our tradition has separated uh, Passover from the communion. And as a result, the judicial thread of the blood is not tapped into. It's not used. It's not accessed. Because we get our communion from a correction of a dysfunctional church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11. That's where we uh, all take our communion from. Because Paul made it really clear there um what was going on but the whole problem goes way back to the inception of the passover cuz communion in the new testament is the passover Luke 22:14 when the hour had come he sat down uh and the 12 apostles with him and he said with fervent desire I've desired to eat this passover with you before I suffer for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Everybody please say, Passover. Passover. All right, let's go back to Passover's first inception. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, the very first Passover. What did the Lord say to do? Well, he made it really clear. Here, here, here was what happened in the first Passover. But this element of the Passover has been lost. All right. Uh, 12.21. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your family. Kill the Passover lamb, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, strike the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door until morning. Retreat under the protection of the blood, for the Lord will pass through to strike the enemy. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house and strike you. 
You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land, which the Lord has given you, just as he promised, you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say, what do you mean by this service? Why are you doing this striking thing? Because God is going out to set me free from the enemy. And it shall be, uh, you shall answer and say, this is what we God commanded us to do in Egypt, and God set us free. When he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, so the people bowed their hands and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded them. So when we do communion today, we don't strike anything. What we do is we've turned it into a microscopic look, which is fine. We Examining ourselves is a good thing. What happened to the striking the enemy? You shall do this all your generation. You shall do it so your kids ask you, why are you striking the enemy? Why are you taking the blood and striking the enemy? Because God ordained our freedom and that enemy will be seen no more in our house. In Jesus' name. It makes communion a little different when you take it. And then you, all you need to do is follow the issue of strike all the way into the New Testament, all the way into the book of Revelation. Strike, 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 strike. That's your assignment. As you're reading the Bible, look for strike. Because when you take communion, okay, Lord, I take this wafer, I drink this wine, this is the blood of Christ, therefore let the enemy be struck right now and destroyed in Jesus' name. All bondage breaks, all bondage falls off. There is deliverance, there is freedom, there is provision in Jesus' name on my whole house in the name of the Lord. Two witnesses. Strike the earth with all plagues. There you go. See, that's the power of the blood. Now, here's what the Lord showed me when he gave me this. He said, if tell the church, start to use this by the Spirit weekly. Every time you take communion, when you're in the Word and the Lord highlights a passage... And he said, no, I want you to pray this judicially. Pray it judicially. When you, when you go take communion, all right, what is afflicting me? Where is the area of bondage? What, what am I dealing with that the Lord could remove? Then you strike that with the blood. And what is it preparing us for? To eventually strike the earth with all plagues as often as it's needed. But you don't go there until you get comfortable walking this out in the Spirit. God won't pull your trigger until you're comfortable with it. You will grow in faith using this. And you know what the third one was? The Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. I never expected this one. I honestly didn't. The Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, comes when you and I give. I'm convinced, yeah, yeah, I know. I had the same response, huh? What? Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy 26. How often do we give? Every week. 
year, once a month, or whatever. And so what do we do? What are we used to doing by tradition? We plunk it in the bucket. God forbid that there ever should be another plunk in a bucket. In Jesus' name when you see this. But shoot, I saw this for 40 years and God never connected the dots with me until the last year. How's that? That's my own admission. All right. Deuteronomy 26, the law of the tithe. Now, God said, I want you to say this whenever you give a tithe. Huh, verse 5, 26, 5. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God. My father was a Syrian about to perish. He went down to Egypt, sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, looked on our affliction, our labor, our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm with great terror. Why did God want us to say this? He's asking every time you put a check, an offering, in a basket, in an envelope, send it somewhere. Every time, activate your judicial covenant so the Lord can come and bring you freedom. He can bring you provision. He can bring you blessing. Every time you give, this isn't the only place this is in there. This is just the beginning. I'll bet everybody in here can quote Malachi 3, 8 or 9 or 10. But how many of us can quote Malachi 3, 5? Hmm. Yes, you will. And the rest of your life. But we're not through here. But so in order to finish here, this is the purpose. Why did God say, say this? To activate the judicial covenant. That's what it does. And in verse six, in 17 and 18, today you have proclaimed, Amar, declared the Lord to be your God. And you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes. It's a Hebrew Hephel causative verb because you ask God, what do you want me to give? Because you yielded your giving to the Spirit. You didn't withhold your giving. You yielded to the Spirit. You gave it over to God. He said, God, here I am. It's not my checkbook anymore. It's yours. All you have to do is say where you want it to go, and that's where I'm going to send it. Now, you know what? That ain't rocket science. That's pretty doggone simple. But what it brings out is, once you do that, then God comes to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? How much do you need this month? You have to replace the roof on your house? What do you need? Oops, that's a fresh testimony. I better not say that. You might hear it in the pulpit on Sunday. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now go to Malachi 3. Yeah, I can't believe I've read Malachi 3 my whole life and missed this. Are you kidding me? I remember even preaching a verse, uh, uh, preaching this verse about, uh, giving in righteousness or receiving an offering in righteousness. Back in a purifying the altar days, I had a whole different take on this, but I never picked up on the judicial part. Then the offering of Judah, verse 4, Malachi 3, 4. And Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old as in former years. And look at this, verse 5. I will come near you for, what does your Bible say in Malachi 3, 5? Judgment. Judgment. Look at somebody and say judgment. Now, 
How many I wills? How many areas does God say, I will come near you for judgment? Five. (laughs) When you look up that word for sorcerers, it's anything that has a demonic origin. Any supernatural assault on your resources, I will judge it and cut it off. Now, you're going to tell me you're going to plunk a check in a basket and not activate that? Give me a break. We need that in spades. We need that daily. Because we often don't recognize the magnitude of those things until they've done their damage. But God says, I'll cut it off before it gets to the damage point. Activate your covenant. When you give an offering in righteousness, pray Malachi 3. Lord, you said you would come near me for judgment. This day, you are a judgment against all demonic opposition, even what I don't see, even what I haven't discerned yet. You're on it. Your angels are on it. They're assigned to it. And they can kill it in Jesus' name so I can walk free. So my provision is not hindered for the ministry you call me to. You're not stealing my offering. You're not stealing the money I need for the ministry you call me to. You're not stealing it from rebellious people. It's cut off in Jesus' name. Now, that's just the first one. Smile at somebody and say, we got four more. Holy mackerel. Are you kidding me? Well, you know what? That makes giving an offering a little different. It deserves a little time between us and the king to activate it. To call it forth, to declare it, to do it. Hallelujah. Against sorcerers, against adulterers, anything that diminishes the authority and power of God's Word, or anything supernatural. It's not just sexual stuff. It goes into the actual diminishing of the Word. To adulterate. Number three, any per- anything that's lies, anything that's deception. You will be a swift witness against it. So the enemy can't hide anymore. He can't hide with his plot to steal through deception because in your giving, you jerk the cover off of that. And so you see it the way God sees it. Oh, my gosh. Lord, you're willing to do that? The blood has bought and paid for this. It's part of the victory of the living Christ who made a show of principalities and powers. It's part of the victory that he bought and took the authority from them in hell itself. And now he wants to demonstrate it for all the church and all the world to see as a testimony of your life. We're not depriving him any longer by playing church, by plunking stuff in the bucket. We're going to pray over this. We're going to activate this in Jesus' name. Against those who exploit wage. Oh, my gosh. Ha! Ah, in this area. Oh, yeah, I could mention a few. Couldn't we? 
I want to tell you what, it's dangerous to go to church and pull that crap when you start praying it. What if your boss is a so-called Christian? Tough toenail. His little buns are going to get toasted until he turns or repents. I don't have much mercy, do I? Mammonite dogs. Steal from the church, not pay a laborer what he's worth. Are you kidding me? There's a curse for that. Yeah. How come it's not activated? Will be as soon as you and I start praying it. Oh, it will be. It could activate. Oh. Oh. I feel the fast track coming on. Hallelujah. You know, there's some things you just got to drink to. And I'm looking forward to that manifestation. I, I spent my whole life before I came in ministry being a laborer, growing up on a farm, working for other people. I've, I haven't had to join the Teamsters. To get the best summer job you can have in Kansas City, Missouri, make the most money. So, man, you talk about Galia. You had to give your money to the Teamsters, the run by the mafia. Give me a break. I've been there, done that, walked that out. Integrated Hertz rent car. Now, you talk about fun. You got to try that on for size. You're the only white guy working there. That's an experience. <laughs> educational experience. (laughs) God won't put up with this, church. When we activate it, He goes to work. Even when the bosses are Christian and should know better. Finally, number five is the issue of rejection. Whenever you are rejected because of the Christ in you, God said, I will judge that. I will go after that. When you are misjudged, God says, I will go after that, and that will cease. Hallelujah. Look. Oh, you know what stuns me about this? We got one more level in our giving in the New Testament, and it's much worse than anything we've read so far. The toughest one is the judgment of the New Testament. You remember, and, you know, I, I could take you there, but that's easier to tell you. Um, Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But lay up, they so rid so. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves can't break in and steal. They so rid so. You don't see the judgment on not doing that until you go to James chapter 5. Well, Jesus tells it, but you don't see it to James 5. But when you hit James 5, now what's interesting about James 5? Well, James 5 brings you into the end time harvest where you and I are right now. That's what makes this so amazing. James 5, verse 3, Your gold and silver are corroded. 
Their corrosion will be a witness against you, will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure for the last days. How did you get it? Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, uh uh-oh, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the God of war, the Lord of the Zabaoth, the army of the living God. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your heart as in a day of slaughter. You've condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. There is an appointed season where this anointing kicks in, and it's at the end time harvest. It's when the laborers go, God, where's our provision for what you called us to do? Our money's out there, but it's being hoarded. Let the fire of God come. Burn their flesh until they have to let go. Now that's one tough prayer. Throw them into the fire until they turn loose of what they've hoarded. God, how'd you like to be a Bill Gates? How'd you like to be George Soros? How'd you like to be Jeff Bezos? Amazon's richest man in the world. Demonized, promoting every ungodly, filthy, vile thing you can imagine. I had an experience with this with Jeff Bezos in the Seattle airport about five years ago. I was passing coming back from Alaska. I was in Seattle waiting for my flight to Orange County. I, I go up and look. I always like to find a seat on the road because at least I get a little, little more room on one side. And so there was a paper. Well, it didn't look like anybody was around, so I picked up the paper. I was going to throw it uh, over there, and there it was on the front page. Jeff Bezos contributes a million dollars in Seattle to uh, pass gay marriage. The Lord spoke to me and said, what are you going to do about that? I said, nothing. I don't live in Seattle. I don't have authority here. Nothing. God said, are your feet... On the territory here in Seattle, I said, yes, Lord. What did I tell you about every place your foot would tread? Hung by the word. It's hard to get in a word argument with God. (laughs) There's no winning those. All right, Lord, what do you want? Pray judicially. Pray judicially? Pray judicially. What scriptures say, it's sowing and reaping. It, actually, what it says in Romans one thirty two that if, if you're going to support, if you approve of that, if you're going to support that, then there's you're you're, uh, you're courting death. So I want you to pray death on Amazon to the magnitude of what he has sown. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring. How'd you like to take on the largest corporation? In the world, God Almighty, Amazon.com. <laughs> I thought, oh boy. Well, it's not me. God, you're the one that said, this is your deal. Anyway, the nice thing about knowing it's God, when God spawns it, he, he's the origin. We, di- we didn't originate it. it. This didn't originate with us. So it's up to him. After I prayed that prayer, I never watched Amazon stock. I never followed it in the paper. I started looking. They went into a nine-month losing streak. 
And nobody could figure out why. Nine months over one prayer. I thought, oh my gosh, if the church ever got together and started praying this, they would be looking for a new president for Amazon. Hopefully one who would walk in righteousness. Nine months. It was amazing. <laughs> well, turned around since then. I, what do you do? These are learning experiences with God. He is getting us ready for the end times. Come on, church. This is practice. Literally, it's our learning. We are learning how to walk in this. So when we start praying this over people who really are hoarding up millions, okay, God, here's what your word says. Execute it. Execute this word in Jesus' name. And bring it now. Bring your resources to the church for the end time harvest. We need it. We need it to go out and harvest nations. So give it to us. Give it to us with the outstretched arm. Give it to us with a mighty hand. Every ministry sitting in here. You get a few decades ahead of you in ministry. You guys. Here's my encouragement. First thing the Lord told me was two things. You can never ask for a place to preach. You can never ask for money. You only ask me. The first full year I was in ministry, we gave away more than my salary would have been at the richest Episcopalian church in Orange County, California. Their building was worth $30 million and they paid their people really well. We gave away more by faith, by walking with God, by trusting Him, by asking Him. I'm telling you, we have yet to tap into the full measure of what God wants to do for the church. We're at the door. We are getting the tools to go after the resources of the earth. A lot of these people have no chance at salvation. The spirit of mammon has got them incarcerated. The only chance at salvation they will have if if that spirit is broken and their money flees from them. That's the only opportunity they will have to get saved. So you better believe we're going to have to pray this. We're going to have to walk it out and we're going to see it. Hallelujah. See, David is a type and shadow. David got the plans. He, David got the word for how to organize the thing. He got the plans, architectural and operational plans for the temple. And then God gave him the money to build it. Now, I'm convinced that's our generational call, ours, right here. Us old guys in the house. Us super senior citizens. Our job. No, super senior. You're going to be old to carry this. You've got to not care. You have to be willing to, when it comes in one hand, you shovel it out with the other. I don't want to get to heaven and find out I couldn't give in one more dollar. I am not going to do that. I am going to sow that stuff until all the reward's up there. I made my mind up. That's what I'm going to do. So my wife and I have been doing this by faith since we started Oh, listen, and we are just at the edge of the greatest explosion we've ever seen because God's going to do this. And all everything we're doing now, we're building our faith for this day. James 5, we're there. Guys, what an exciting season to walk with God. All we have to do 
is not withhold anything. Here you are, Lord. Let's go. Would you please cup your hands? Because I'm going to ask God to fill them. Father, I thank you for this house. Lord, there are things I can preach here that I can't preach in many others. I've probably been coming here longer than any other place I'm going. So it's a special place to me. So, Father, in Jesus' name, just for putting up with me for 30-plus years, fill the hands of this people in Jesus' name. Fill their hands. Fill their hands till they are overflowing. Make them an advertisement for the authority of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, let them walk in the fullness of kingdom authority and let them walk in the fullness of the judicial that we may save those, Father, who are deceived. That the last final chance deceived will have is when we come before them because we didn't withhold anything and you invested your fullness in us. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, prepare us for this last great harvest and bless this house as only you can. Fill their hands, exceeding abundantly above they could ever ask or think. And, Father, arrest us by the Spirit if we're about to plunk a check in a bucket by habit. Arrest us and say, no, give me five minutes. I can't do this. I have to spend time with the Lord. I have to do this right. So, Father, in Jesus' name, honor this place, honor this house, and bless it and open heaven as only you can. Fill their hands in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. Hallelujah. It's been fun, guys. What's that? I have a piece of wisdom for you, and and the wisdom is this, a a little insider joke among ministers. When you find a church you like to go to, don't ever finish the series so they have to invite you back. (laughs) I'm teasing. I would have if I could have. (laughs) Father, bless them as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks, you guys. Uh-huh. Say it again.